This week on Geek Explained, it's part two of our Endgame postgame, where we count down the greatest stories featuring the son of Odin, old Shellhead, and the star-spangled man with a plan. Whatever it takes. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is part two of our Endgame post game, where we're counting down the top stories featuring the banner holders of the MCU, the original six Avengers. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, we covered the best stories featuring Black Widow, Hawkeye, and the Hulk. This week, we're going to be focusing on the other half. That's Thor, Iron Man, and of course, Captain America. Uh, If you haven't listened to last week's episode, definitely do so. Lots of great stories there. I got some really good feedback from uh, some folks who had never heard of those books before. Uh, A couple of them were really surprised that the uh, Matt Fraction Hawkeye run was so good. So I love that book and I loved all of the books that we recommended last week and I love all the books that we're going to be recommending this week so definitely check that out if you haven't as for this week we've got a pretty good show for you today um of course, with our endgame post game, we've got our normal news segment, this week's comics countdown, as well as the second to last in our weekly review featuring the Doom Patrol show. All of that is ahead, but first we're going to start things off with the news. And um, a lot of stuff happened. <laughs> uh, I love sometimes how. Uh, kind of my schedule when it comes to this podcast kind of correlates with uh, breaking news in the geek community, whether it's uh, comic book news, film news, what have you. But um, last week was really interesting because we ended up uh, recording at the normal time, but certain technical technical difficulties as well as a life change in that we now have a new cat uh, pretty much delayed the episode until near the end of the week and by the time that the episode dropped all of this stuff had happened so um, we're going to be counting down some of the stuff that happened last week some of the stuff that happened over the weekend as well as some of the stuff that's happening this week so to kick off stuff from last week we got our first trailer for cw's new batwoman show this is starting starring ruby rose uh it's kind of spinning out of last week's um uh, what was it called? Elseworlds crossover between all of the CWDC shows. And it, I will say one thing. I really enjoyed Ruby Rose's Batwoman. She was very limited in her, uh, in her role in the crossover. But what I saw, I liked. I thought, I mean, no one's going to say that Ruby Rose is the greatest actress on Earth. But for what she was given 
And for what she had to do, I thought she was pitch perfect. She did a great job playing Kate Kane. And even though uh, you could kind of tell she hadn't really spent a whole lot of time in the suit by the time that they uh, filmed, I thought that she did a pretty good job as Batwoman. And I'm interested to see where they go from here. Uh, lots of great iconography. Gotham, the Bat Signal, GCPD. Uh, it looks like this is really going to be taking place before that crossover. I wouldn't be surprised at all if the uh, season finale for the first season ends where the uh, Elseworld story starts. But... We got a uh, first glimpse at Alice, who is going to be kind of her main villain. It looks like she's spinning out of the uh, Mad Hatter. She is one of his former victims, and it drove her insane. And then um, we also got a first look at, I'm assuming that that's uh, Lucius Fox's son, Luke Fox. Uh, he does end up becoming uh, Batwing in the comics, though I don't know if they're going to go that route. I got mad Felicity and uh, Mr. Terrific vibes from him, so we'll see if that ends up being the case. Uh, we saw the CW Batsuit. We saw what Bruce Wayne wears in the uh, CW-verse, and of course, by the end of the trailer and the end of the first episode, I'm assuming, um, they'll have tailored it to fit Kate, and then of course that'll evolve into the uh, Batwoman suit. So overall, I'm interested. I want to know what they do next with this. I am cautiously optimistic. Uh, the CW DC uh, verse has been kind of on the back pedal recently. I'm really hoping that this next upcoming uh, kind of slew of stuff when it comes to. Uh, the next season of The Flash, the final season of Arrow, we're looking at Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is going to be huge, uh, as well as the Batwoman show is really going to kind of get us back on track. Uh, in other Bat news, a possible Batman casting came up. Now, this was initially reported by Variety and later uh, corrected by many other people. Uh, which initially the Variety Report listed that for Matt Reeves' Batman film, the solo Batman film that's coming out, they have casted Robert Pattinson. If you don't know who Robert Pattinson is, you might know him better as Edward from Twilight, the sparkly vampire. Um, since then, to give him his due, he has done a lot for indie films. He's really kind of built himself back up out of that teen heartthrob uh, niche and I think he's he's really proven himself to be a, a good actor however the uh, variety jumped on it a little too quick because Robert Pattinson does not have the role yet he is in talks with uh, Warner Brothers and DC about it but there is another as Obi-Wan once said there is another and that other is Nicholas Holt, who has been uh, playing Beast in the X-Men films. He recently had a film about uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, titled simply Tolkien. Um, it's... Uh, I don't know who I would pick between those two. Um, hello. If you can hear her, that is, uh, that's Babs. That's our, uh, our new cat. She has come to watch the proceedings of the podcast and listen to me record it yes hello <laughs> 
Babs is very uh, invested in this since her name does come from Barbara Gordon, Batgirl. Um, but yeah, I don't know who I would pick between those two. Uh, at different times, they were also saying Army Hammer was uh, interested in the role. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, who I think would be a great choice, was also in the running. I don't know exactly who I would pick between all of them, but I guess if you're going for a dark and brooding uh, younger Batman, you know, Robert Pattinson can do a serviceable job. I don't know how he'd be as as Batman, but as Bruce Wayne, I think he could pull it off. We'll just have to see, and as soon as I know about this, you guys will know about this. So that is it for Bat News. Uh, in other news, Game of Thrones had its finale this past Sunday, the final episode of the series. Um, my thoughts, just general thoughts, no spoilers, no anything. Um, they made a lot of weird choices. I, uh, I thought a lot of controversial choices, not just in this episode, but across this entire season. But overall, I really enjoyed the finale. Um, certain characters got exactly what I thought they would get, and in a certain way, exactly what they kind of wanted as characters. So I... I think it was a good wrap-up to a really kind of controversial and uh, varying in quality season. But I'm interested to see where they go next. HBO lost a ton of subscribers because, you know, Game of Thrones is what really kept a lot of people tuned into HBO. But they do have a couple Game of Thrones spinoffs in the works, uh, one of which is a prequel that, as of this recording, is currently titled The Long Night which is supposed to take place, I think, like a thousand years before the current Game of Thrones timeline. Um, they're also uh, rocking out with Barry, which is a show I still need to get on, but I've heard so many good things about it. Uh, HBO also does have the Watchmen show coming up, which is going to be really good. So HBO's in good hands. I think HBO's shouldn't be... Uh, I don't know if you could hear her. Bab Babs has a cold currently. She has like a uh, a nasal infection that we are currently treating. So lots of fun stuff being a new pet owner. But uh, yeah, so I think HBO is going to be okay. Uh, they've got tons of shows, a great movie catalog. They're going to be just fine. In other movie news, the uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood film that is coming out from Quentin Tarantino, uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, uh, just got its first full trailer. They had a previous teaser trailer. And I gotta say, as someone who uh, kind of knows what this film is about, I love that these trailers are being so... I don't want to say deceptive, but they're being—they're holding their the real plot and the uh, I guess spoilers close to the chest, and I appreciate that. I think um, this film is going to surprise a lot of people who are going to go into it expecting what the bless you are going to uh, expect the uh, film to be just based off of the trailer so I think it's going to be one of those films that's very divisive between people uh, Quentin Tarantino it's actually been reported has asked uh, both 
the people in charge of the Cannes Film Festival, as well as people who go see it there. Not to spoil it, uh, we're now entering a uh, film climate where filmmakers now suddenly care about spoilers again. So I'm really interested to see what this ends up doing and where this is going to go for this film. Uh, If you are a fan of Hollywood, if you're a fan of old school Hollywood, if you're a fan of... I don't want to give it away, but if you're a fan of famous serial killers, uh, definitely check this film out when it does drop. It is going to be one for the ages, I think. Um, In Marvel news, Endgame has officially passed $2.6 billion at the box office. It is now sitting at a hundred and... I think 180 million behind Avatar. So as we're slowing down here, uh, it is going to be a photo finish to see if it ends up beating Avatar. I did not think it was going to slow down this much, but with films like Detective Pikachu coming out, John Wick Chapter 3, and others, I kind of understand where that's coming from uh endgame's still going strong it is still a strong movie but it's going to be real close if it does end up beating avatar it is going to be real close so i'll keep you guys updated uh on that situation and in other marvel news this one i'm really excited about we'll probably end off our new segment here uh we got more information about the falcon and winter soldier show um if you saw Endgame, which if you haven't, why? Um, you know the unique situation that both Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie find themselves in when it comes to this upcoming show. We thought initially when it was announced that it was going to be kind of a buddy cop uh, story in the vein of, I would say, probably the recent Tales of Suspense run uh, by Matthew Rosenberg, which was one of our recommended readings from last week. Uh, featuring two people who have really good chemistry and would feature a lot more scenes similar to what they had in Civil War, where it was very much uh, two brothers who do not, who cannot stand each other. Um, but post Endgame, and with Chris Evans handing off the shield to Anthony Mackie, um, this show now just completely. 180 on both its importance as well as the content of it. So this is seeming to me to be a show that is going to be focused on basically uh, Sam trying to bear the weight of the shield and decide if he's worthy of it and whether or not Winter Soldier is going to come into play, whether he becomes this guy who's like, Sam, you can do this, or if it's like, okay, fine, if you don't want it, I'll take it. I'm really interested to see where that goes. Um, Deadline has revealed several details about the uh, miniseries, which is going to be a six-part miniseries on Disney+. Plus. It is going to be released in let me see here. It's going to be released in August of 2020, which I cannot say I am dis- I am excited about the fact that I have to wait until next year. I want this now. However, I cannot think of a better birthday present for myself next year than to be able to sit down and watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which might be rebranded to Captain America and the Winter Soldier or Captain America and Nomad, or whatever it ends up being. But 
It is going to be hitting Disney Plus in August of 2020. Um, I am scrolling through, blah, blah, blah. So it says here, the report says that the series will follow Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan as they reprise their Marvel Cinematic Universe superhero roles. The show will follow what happens to the two heroes in a world without Steve Rogers, and they may be joined by Daniel Bruhl's Baron Zemo and Emily Van Camp's Sharon Carter. So we are going to get some answers on where Sharon Carter's been, she was noticeably absent during Infinity War and Endgame, which makes sense. She's a smaller character on the same vein as like a Maria Hill, uh, Nick Fury in that sense. But I thought it was interesting that she wasn't part of that group, that kind of uh, hidden group of uh, Cap, Black Widow, Falcon, and I guess to a lesser extent, uh, Scarlet Witch. So I am interested to see where it goes. They also announced that uh, veteran television director Kari Skolgand, Skolgand, I know I'm saying that wrong, I I apologize, uh, is going to be in charge of every episode of the series. She's going to be directing every single episode, which I think is great. Um, A lot of shows have benefited from having a different director every episode, but that also, I think, affects the quality and the consistency between each episode. So knowing that it's going to be one director's vision throughout is really cool. And if you're not familiar with Carrie Skolgans, I know, I'm sorry, uh, work, she is an Emmy-nominated director and has previously directed episodes of The Walking Dead, Handmaid's Tale, and she's also going to be helming certain episodes of the upcoming Nos for Ot 2. If you aren't familiar with that, that is a uh, upcoming vampire series uh, starring, I believe, Zachary Quinto as the uh, titular Nosferatu. Um, She's also already been part of the uh, Marvel Universe or the Marvel family by directing an episode of season two of The Punisher. So it's really good that they're getting high quality directors for these shows. It makes it feel like uh, these shows are going to be as important as the MCU films, which is what Kevin Feige promised. So I could not be more excited about it. It's really great. I'm really excited about the show. It sucks that we have to wait until next year. But if they are putting the time in to really make this as good as this can be, which it has to be, it has to stick the landing because this is going to be the debut of our next Captain America. Um, I am all for it. Uh, Sebastian Stan has also reportedly said that the... Uh, show is going to begin production in October, this October. So I will keep you up to date with all the news surrounding that. And that is going to do it for this week's news segment. And we are going to jump straight into part two of our endgame post game. Um, again, lots of good feedback from last week's episode. Certain uh, People got back to me, and they are now reading stuff that we recommended. So I'm hoping that this week's pickings are just as good. I think they are. So we'll start off with the son of Odin, the god of thunder, the former king of Asgard, and now new member of the Asgardians of the Galaxy, Thor. Um, A lot of people had a lot of feelings for Thor's involvement in Endgame. Um, I think that... Again, talking about earlier with uh, deceptive trailers and the fact that spoilers are very important now, all of a sudden. Um, 
the fact that they kept Fat Thor a secret, I think, is a testament to those filmmakers as well as the marketing team. I really enjoyed Thor's arc across both Infinity War and Endgame. The fact that we did get to see Thor at the height of his power at the beginning of Endgame when they went off to get Thanos, I thought was great. Him chopping off Thanos' head and basically, you know, calling back saying, I went for the head, um, wasn't a victory. It was sad. You could see it and. Chris Hemsworth did some of the best acting of his career in this film, where he was so defeated. He was he was defeated so um, so completely, so totally that the final shot before the time skip of him just walking out into the distance with his cape billowing behind him, a defeated warrior, really sticks out in my mind as one of the greatest uh, moments one of the greatest pictures in my mind of endgame and then after the time skip we find that he has helped to settle new asgard out in i want to say norway but he basically has let the loss the overwhelming loss that he was part of in infinity war affect him to the point that it has consumed him he is a depressed man who has turned to eating and drinking himself to death he is a fat man now. His He is what a lot of people have referred to as Lebowski Thor. Uh, Tony Stark even makes a reference to it in the film. And he has just lost all hope. He's lost all... Um, really just lost all sense of himself. And I think it's incredibly sad. And you see that it's affected him when uh, in the initial scene that he's featured in when uh, Hulk or Professor Hulk or Banner uh, mentions Thanos and you see his entire demeanor change from this like oh cool righteous I'm the dude to don't you say that name and he's like on the verge of tears because it has it's almost like PTSD it has affected him so greatly this defeat this total loss that it really has broken him and the entire film is really featuring a broken god um i for one am a fan if you are a fan of youtube like most people are there is a channel called full fat videos big shout out to them they're incredible they do video essays which are amazing and in one of their uh one of their videos they mentioned the they it's titled the broken god i don't know if you can hear our neighbor's dog She's very, very invested in Thor's storyline. But um, it was basically a video essay chronicling the journey for Thor between uh, Thor Ragnarok and Infinity War and kind of making some guesses of what could happen in Endgame. And so I really think that Thor has been at his best in the last few years. And it makes me really excited to see that he has renewed his contract and he will be going into the next phase. He's the only member of the original six so far that we know of that is going into the next phase. Um, I don't really count uh, Black Widow solo film since it is a prequel and it's not really going forward in the story. But... Um, yeah, I'm really excited. He gets a great few scenes in Endgame, mostly played up for laughs. Um, him just being completely depressed. 
um, him focusing more on beer, his whole recollection of Thor the Dark World, which is pretty much all we could recollect about it, all I could recollect about it. But when they do end up going into the past and he gets that opportunity to speak with his mom, it's a really touching scene, and I really appreciated it. I also loved when uh, him and Rocket are leaving and he you know, puts his hand out just to see, just to see, and we see that even five years on, even as depressed as he is, he is still worthy because Mjolnir comes right to him. And we kind of touched on it in our spoiler review of the film, which if you haven't listened to that, go back. It's a giant-sized episode, almost four hours, uh, but it's definitely worth it. We do touch upon the fact that as someone, speaking for myself, as someone who um, has suffered from depression in the past and Depression is an ongoing battle for anyone who has dealt with it. Uh, seeing that that message that your depression does not make you any less worthy, I thought was a great, great shout. And I thought it was a great lesson for people. Uh, he comes back. He ends up uh, really changing his demeanor completely, going into that final battle because this is the moment he's been waiting for for five years to correct his mistake and to do this right. He even says, let's kill him properly this time. And you see him dual-wielding Mjolnir and Stormbreaker. And it's just fantastic. He pulls back his uh, his vi- or his or um, uh, Asgardian armor. It's hilarious because he's still overweight. Um, but his whole like physical appearance changes as well. His beard turns into this, you know, great Viking Jason Momoa beard. His hair gets pulled back into uh, Viking braids. It's really, really cool. And then uh, he's a big part of that final battle. And when Cap picks up Mjolnir, which we'll talk about a little bit later, he is ecstatic for his friend. I love the scene during the battle where um, both of them are fighting with their respective hammers and at a certain point they both call the hammers back and cap ends up catching stormbreaker thor ends up catching mjolnir he's like no 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 no, no. you get the small one give me back mine so i thought it's great i'm really excited at the end of the film he decides to hand over the leadership of asgard to valkyrie and then he goes off with the guardians of the galaxy so he is going to be in guardians of the galaxy volume three however uh, limited or expanded his role is going to be he's going to be featured in some capacity so I'm really excited I'm really interested if they do end up going forward with a Thor 4 uh, according to Tessa Thompson that has been pitched whether that's going to be featuring Tessa Thompson and Thor is going to stick with more of the uh, supporting role or with the Guardians of the Galaxies remains to be seen but I'm really interested either way all of that out of the way let's get into the recommended readings for Thor and got to start it off because a lot of people myself included when you think about thor for the past you know decade or so one name comes to mind and that is jason aaron and jason aaron has really helmed the thor and asgard properties about as well and for as long as anybody has um he is to thor what i think jeff johns is to green lantern jeff johns is a incredible incredible writer for dc and his whole run on green lantern is the stuff of legend when it comes to comic books and i think when we look back on it when jason aaron's watch does eventually come to a close um we're gonna look back on jason aaron's run with thor as like the definitive thor run so 
two of the three do feature Jason Aaron here. Uh, the first one is God Butcher slash God Bomb. This is the first big arc for him in the Thor God of Thunder line. Uh, of course, written by Jason Aaron with art by Asad Ribic. I love Asad Ribic's art. All of his art looks like it was painted on. It looks like old school painted um, artwork. It's incredible. Asad Ribic is wonderful. They brought him back to help helm uh, Secret Wars before we did the uh, kind of soft reboot in 2016. So he is incredible. And Jason Aaron, like I said, there, there's, there are not enough good things to be said about uh, Jason Aaron's Thor run. But this is what started it all for him. And this features the idea of the God Butcher, Gore. Uh, this is a creature who was failed by the gods and has since made it his mission to basically extinguish, obliterate, purify the universe by getting rid of every god. And it eventually the stakes get, keep on getting raised and raised and raised until every god in the entire universe is at is basically under threat of being annihilated and it's up to thor to stop him the big draw for me when i first heard about this story uh was that this story also takes place in three different time periods so we get th three different thors concurrently interacting with gore the god butcher at different periods in his life so we get young thor also known as uh dumb thor or bro thor uh, before he became worthy of the hammer, this is young Thor just chumming around. This is frat Thor uh, running around just being a doofus and wielding Yarnbjorn, the axe that provided the inspiration for Stormbreaker in MCU. Um, he's funny. He's funny. He's just dumb. And then we also get our current Thor, who is dealing with uh, Gore in the present. And then we also get uh, King Thor, who is looking more and more like Odin, missing an eye, missing an arm, uh, basically at the end of the universe. So great story, great art, really good way if you are jumping onto Thor for the first time. Great, great jumping on point. Next up, we have Unworthy Thor, written by Jason Aaron with art by Olivier Coppel. I know I said that wrong. I'm just going to own it. Um, his artwork is incredible. I love his artwork. Uh, can't say his name worth a damn, but I love his artwork. And Unworthy Thor, I think, is a great starting point for people who are fans of the MCU version. Uh, this is post him becoming unworthy to lift Mjolnir because of what the events of uh, Original Sin and this is a Thor who is at his worst. This is a Thor who, if you enjoyed his story in Endgame, you will really enjoy this story. This is a Thor who is post his arm getting cut off in the comics, which was cut off by Malekith, who is um, the main villain of War of the Realms right now. Uh, this is a Thor who has become unworthy. This is a Thor who is drinking himself to death, just like in the beginning of Endgame. And if you want redemption stories, if you want stories of Thor at his worst, learning to grow out of it and learning to make, in his eyes, himself worthy again, this is a great story. This also features Beta Ray Bill. It features Thanos. All the things that you want in a Thor story are featured here. It also features a pretty familiar axe hammer duo combo that you might be interested in so definitely check this out and third i think this is one that i 
is super underrated and people don't give it enough credit and I think that's a shame. Um, this is also going to be the hardest to find of the three. And this is Thor the Mighty Avenger, written by Roger Langridge with art by Chris Somney. Once again, Chris Somney coming in clutch. He is an incredible artist. Uh, Roger Langridge, this is really the only... Um, uh, this is my really only experience with him as a writer, but I really enjoyed this. This is Thor kind of almost like a uh, retelling of Thor's early years. Uh, this is very much Thor uh, for, all, for all ages and all ages audience uh, dealing with stuff on Earth and you know, uh, his relationship with Jane Foster. It's a fun, fun book, and it does not get talked about enough. This is in the late, I think this was like in 2008. Uh, this is just a great book. This is a fantastic book. The artwork is stellar. The writing's great. It's a fun, fun time with good characters, good writing. It's just a book you need to pick up. It's a little more difficult. You're not going to be able to find it like on Prime, on Amazon, but if you can track it down, pick it up. It is incredible. It's a great read. Uh, it's also kind of a uh, honorable mention. I would say War of the Realms right now is the big event that's going on in Marvel when it comes to their comics. Definitely pick that up as well. That's been really good so far. And next up, we have Iron Man, Tony Stark. Uh, his journey in Endgame was incredible. I think that there's been like little buzz here and there for an Oscar nomination for Robert Downey Jr. for his work in this film. And though I think him winning would be an incredible long shot, um, he definitely deserves it. He definitely deserves a nomination at the very least. He did incredible in this film. Tony Stark starts off right where uh, Infinity War left him off, stranded in space with Nebula. Uh, he gets a great opening scene where the two of them are trying to figure out how to get home, but they can't. And it looks like pretty much all is lost for him until uh, Captain Marvel shows up and saves them. Um, we also get a really great scene immediately afterwards where we see, because uh, between the beginning of Endgame and the end of Infinity War, it's been just over 20 days. And Tony's in bad shape. He's emaciated. He is hooked up to an IV to give him fluids. Uh immediately after the scene and he gets an incredible scene where he is just raging against Captain America for not being there not being there to help him when Thanos got there not being there with him to try and get the gauntlet off on um, Titan yeah. it's just a great great scene with him and he continues to have a great story throughout the film where he's uh, after the time skip he has established a family with his daughter who is adorable throughout the entire thing. Um, he's established a life with Pepper, with a little cabin, cabin in the woods or a cabin on the lake. And what I really like is he got to live a life. He got to settle down. He got to finally, quote-unquote, retire. And he gets to really enjoy just normal family life for five years. And when the Avengers show up on his doorstep saying, hey, there's a way that we can save everyone, but we also might take away this whole family life that you've uh, kind of built for yourself, he is initially super against it. 
and it's only after he works out the uh, logistics behind it himself that he's really able to get past all of his bitterness with Steve, all of the potential fear of saving everyone and possibly undoing the last five years, and he's able to help them out, which I loved. I absolutely loved. Um, he also gives Steve his, uh, his shield back which is a great scene uh he ends up going back to the battle of new york uh screwing up the uh the acquisition of the tesseract uh it's great seeing him kind of talk about uh how all of this stuff happened around um around the battle of new york talking to everybody um and then once they lose that him and steve go back to uh fort hagen in uh, Jersey, and he acquires the Tesseract while Cap is on his own mission, and then runs straight into his own father, Howard Stark, and him and and Robert Downey Jr. and John Slattery uh, are so good together. Even though I look at him and I don't really see any qualities that uh, make me think that they would be. Um, father and son but the two of them have such great chemistry with each other and the way that they play their characters is so mirroring each other that the scene between them and the elevator is fantastic um they also you know tony really gets to get closure with his dad the one person he never really got to get closure with um i guess also including his mom but um he didn't have a great relationship with his dad it was pretty pretty bad on his uh at his own admission but he finally gets this closure with his dad and he says you know i thought my dad was real hard on me but you know now i look back and i just remember the good stuff and um i think that's something that any father and son can really uh really relate to even if you haven't had the best uh relationship with your father i think it's something that getting a scene like that is really heartwarming and it really uh you can really relate to finally getting to say the things to your parents that you never got to. So I thought it was a great scene. And then, of course, they go back. Um, there's so much stuff that happens in this film. Um, he gets, you know, that showdown between uh, the big three against Thanos and then the big... Uh, climactic battle comes in he is battling along with pepper and her rescue armor which they tease earlier in the film and um he is the one the one you know dr strange even holds up you know the one finger he is the one who takes these stones from thanos at the very end and snaps thanos and his forces away also thereby uh killing himself so he gets this great last scene where he's sitting there. Um, he gets an amazing callback when he makes the snap. He says, I am Iron Man, calling back to the line that closed out the very first Iron Man film, the line that he improvised, mind you. Um, and it's just, it's a great story for him, for Robert Downey Jr., uh, for 10 years, for over 10 years with this character. Um, he does get a little pre-recorded message following that they do a whole funeral for him and the uh final little bits of the film post credits there's no strictly speaking post credit scene but after the credits roll you do hear six clangs for um 
a couple different interpretations as we've talked about before um but it's those clangs of iron man of tony making his first iron man suit in the uh in the cave so a great send-off for him he's an incredible character i'm sure that robert downey jr will return at some point for in some capacity to the mcu but for now this is a great send-off for him when it comes to the comics i will say i think personally in my opinion i have never been a big fan of iron man comics the comics have done no uh, justice for him, no no service for him for a while, I think. And other people, I'm sure, will disagree, but his best stories are far behind him. We're talking about the 70s, the 80s. Um, there hasn't been a really great Iron Man comic to really catch my attention in a long time. So um, that's not to say that people aren't putting in the work. Dan Slott is doing his best to make a great Iron Man book. But for me personally, I haven't really been hooked on Iron Man comics. Uh, Very few have really jumped out at me. So these are the best, in my opinion, of the best. And these are also books that are going to be for people who are familiar with Iron Man from the MCU and don't really know a whole lot of his stuff in the comics. So these are going to be stories that either were influences for the MCU uh, or are kind of generally considered to be his best stories. And we're kicking it off with Armor Wars, written by Bob Layton and David Michelini. I know I said that wrong. Uh, With art by Barry Windsor-Smith and Mark Bright. This is a... uh, this is a good story. I really enjoy this story. Uh, this is one of the basis for Iron Man 2. This is basically um, the secrets, quote-unquote, to uh, Iron Man's armor kind of get leaked out, and all of a sudden you start seeing different governments with Iron Man armors. Uh, former uh, villains for Iron Man suddenly have their own Iron Man technology. And Tony, dressed in my f- personal favorite Iron Man suit, the uh, Silver Centurion armor, um, goes off to basically wage war on all of these other Iron Man suits so that he can destroy them all. Um, great story, good art. I really enjoyed this. This, again, kind of influenced Iron Man 2 with everyone basically in this new arms race to make their own Iron Man suit. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I really think this is a good story. Uh, next up, probably the most recent of the three, is Extremis, written by Warren Ellis with art by Adi uh, Granov. Again, no, I said that wrong. I apologize. But uh, this was a big basis for the uh, story of Iron Man 3. Basically, Iron Man's doing his thing, and uh, these soldiers infected with something called the extremist virus proved to be too much for him, too fast, too powerful. And so over the course of the story, you find uh, Tony wrestling with his limitations as just a man in a suit of armor and exploring the possibilities of becoming something more. So good story. Uh, Warren Ellis is an amazing writer. Uh, The art here is fantastic. This really kicked off the modern Iron Man that we know in the comics currently, uh, who I would say physiologically, at least, is very in a very different place than the uh, Tony in the MCU. 
So I think uh, this is a great story if you want to get into like modern Iron Man comics and you're kind of like me who wants to start at the beginning and move forward, Extremis is the jump on point for you. And finally, we have probably, if not, I think arguably the best Iron Man story, if not just the most famous Iron Man story, and that is Demon in a Bottle. Written by Bob Layton and uh, David Michelini, once again, with art by John Romita Jr. This is the quintessential Iron Man story. This is the second story that uh, Iron Man 2 pulled from to craft its film. And this is, the, in my opinion, the greatest Iron Man story because this deals with Tony Stark getting over himself this is a tony stark who has to come to grips with the fact that he is an alcoholic this deals with his alcoholism his spiraling down and at his very lowest point him finding the will to not just be iron man but to be tony stark um it's incredible it's an incredible story about breaking the character down uh his basically his uh his company gets taken away from him his uh life is ruined he is just completely dragged through the mud he is left with nothing and he turns to alcoholism something that he has been comfortable with but it becomes a real problem and spirals him down to rock bottom and you get to see him pull himself back up out of that so that is an incredible story it's really the story of tony stark who becomes I think the greatest, in Robert Downey Jr.'s words, I think in Iron Man 2, the greatest uh, rising from the ashes Phoenix story in modern fiction when it comes to uh, these comic book superheroes of someone who goes to his lowest point and is able to claw his way back up to become to his highest point, to become the best version of himself. So those are the three books for Iron Man. Now we come to something that I have been dreading, saying goodbye to Chris Evans' Captain America. Uh, those of you who know me know that Captain America is my boy. Captain America is my favorite, if not just Marvel superhero, probably my favorite superhero of all time. Him and Superman trade spots every so often, but as of right now, I can comfortably say that Captain America is my number one. And for Chris Evans, you know, what a journey. What a journey he has been on. Not just as the character, but as an actor. Um, someone who was really notable up until that point for being a laughingstock for um, Not Another Teen Movie, for being the Human Torch, to get this role that no one thought he was right for, and to really excel in this role and take it to the heights that he's taken it I think is an incredible story for an actor um, he has publicly said that following the kind of wrap up for his character in Endgame he is going to shift his uh, kind of his efforts towards directing which I think is fantastic um, he is someone who in any capacity I would love to work with one day he is absolutely incredible and you see it all the time um his twitter game is super strong and you look at him and you know the stuff that he uses social media for and you really see that that 
He is Captain America. He just really is. As for the character, he goes through a fantastic arc um, in Endgame. The, the Russo brothers have said publicly that um, Endgame is the conclusion for Cap's story arc that they started in Winter Soldier. So if you watch Winter Soldier into Infinity War, or Winter Soldier into Civil War, into Infinity War, into Endgame, you'll see a complete and total arc for Captain America. Um, I absolutely love what he does in this film um he is immediately wanting to go after thanos once they find out where he is uh following the five-year time skip um he is uh kind of running this uh self-help group that sam was running uh this kind of group therapy group in uh winter soldier and you see that he is wrestling with this loss everyone everyone of the six avengers and all the other heroes who survived deals with this grief in their own way um we finally get to see a captain america who kind of is kind of semi-retired um he has focused his efforts into helping people get through their grief and their suffering um basically turning a blind eye to his own his own suffering his own grief the loss of bucky who he was willing to completely tear the avengers apart for um really has weighed so heavily on him that the moment that they get the opportunity to turn everything back he jumps on it he's so focused in this film on getting back what he lost that he you know leads the charge um he goes back with ant-man hulk and tony into uh the new york of 2011 um during the battle of new york he <laughs> he is the one who is sent after the scepter which contains the mind stone and he i think out of everyone in the uh in the uh, time travel, in the Back to the Future 2 plotline of Endgame, has the most to do. Um, fittingly, because, you know, the Russo, the Russo brothers love their Captain America. But um, we see him initially get into, uh, get into a familiar scenario in his pursuit of the Scepter, which has been taken, uh, basically taken by S.H.I.E.L.D. And I'll see if this sounds familiar to you. Uh, there's an elevator featuring a slew of shield slash secret hydra agents captain america gets onto the elevator and is surrounded by these shield agents and for me i was clamoring for him to look around and say before we get started does anyone want to get off but they took that expectation that this was going to be another elevator fight a fantastic elevator fight and really, and I know we keep throwing this word around and it's losing meaning the more that we say it, but they really subvert our expectations when it comes to this elevator um, because he shows growth and character development in his character by working smarter, not harder. So he tells everyone, um, it's okay, I got the uh, word from the secretary that I'm going to be taking the scepter. And everyone's like, whoa, no, we can't give you that. And he leans forward, and he says, it's okay. Hail Hydra. 
and he gets to walk out with the scepter he just leaves and the cheers from people was incredible myself included it was fantastic but his uh his story of getting the scepter is not over yet because as he works his way through the building um tony and ant-man have already screwed up losing the tesseract because loki gets his hands on it and he disappears so he runs right into the 2011 version of himself uh basically saying you know i got eyes on loki and you really get to see the difference between uh i think personally the joss whedon captain america and the russo brothers captain america because captain america at this point he's fresh out of the ice he is very boy scout very by the books very um stand and deliver and the cap that we've come to know and love is more nuanced than that he's aged he's evolved and so when they're fighting each other it's fantastic we're getting some cap on cap fight and uh, at a certain point you know avengers cap knocks him down he says you know i can do this all day and our cap just goes yeah yeah i know i know so it's fantastic he is able to outwit the avengers cap by using his one weakness a very self-aware captain america uses his one weakness by telling him bucky is alive and then knocks out his uh his companion or his counterpart and it's also during this whole scene this whole uh, scenario of them trying to get the scepter and the tesseract where uh Tony Stark makes a flippant comment about Captain America's ass, uh, basically saying he was like, I forgot that that outfit did nothing for your ass. And Scott Lang, because Scott Lang is such a fan of Captain America, just goes, to me, that's America's ass. And after knocking out his 2011 self, uh, Cap looks at himself, who's passed out, and he goes, that is America's ass. Like, it's just, it's so funny, and it's just birthed hundreds of thousands of memes so it's fantastic after they lose the tesseract him and tony like i said go back to fort hagen in jersey and he is tasked with getting more pim particles so that they can get back to the present and so he is able to sneak into hank pym's lab young hank pym great uh, little cameo by michael douglas uh using the de-aging technology and he's able to steal more of the pimp particles than he needed which should have been a tip-off to those of us who weren't aware um that this was going to be a thing so um as he's trying to escape the base he has to hide in an office at one point and he comes upon peggy carter he is in peggy's office and he sees her through the window and there's this profound sadness in him that is really i think been such an under uh underrated aspect to his character this profound sadness this quiet depression that he has held since winter soldier um as he watches on at the life he could have had and so he is able to make it back um snap everybody back thanos attacks and he is with tony and thor to have this showdown with thanos which is great and then at a certain point iron man's neutralized thor is getting beat down cap has been neutralized uh the dual wielding mjolnir and stormbreaker mjolnir's been knocked out of thor's hand uh 
Thor is on the verge of being completely just stabbed to death by his own Stormbreaker, by Thanos, when we see the when we see Mjolnir lift off the ground. Mjolnir smacks Thanos, comes back, and Captain America, Captain freaking America, catches Mjolnir, showing that he was worthy. Uh, there's been a lot of debate recently about his worthiness, about whether he was worthy all along, and he just didn't lift the hammer in Age of Ultron because of a respect for Thor. Or for me, the one that I kind of like more is that what made him unworthy was that he was holding on to the secret that Bucky killed Tony's parents. And him finally coming to grips with that and telling Tony the truth finally made him worthy again. Um, either way, whichever camp you decide to uh, kind of reside in, uh, this was incredible. Watching him dual wield the shield and the hammer, comboing the ha the shield off of the hammer was just fantastic. And of course, once um, everyone gets beaten down, he gets beaten down, uh, the shield gets chipped away, just shattered in half. And uh, there's a great little scene where he's got this huge gash on his forearm from Thanos' uh, blade. And we see him get right back up. It's it's the I can do this all day without explicitly saying it, but the subtext is there. And he pulls the strap on his shield tighter to close the wound. And so I, I love It's a little thing, but I love it. And he stands against Thanos and his entire army, which have now touched down on Earth. And it's this beautiful shot. We have it as the Twitter ban or as the Twitter banner for Geek Explained Podcast. Um, follow us, give us a follow, check us out on Twitter and on Instagram at Geek Explained Pod. And it is an incredible picture of just one man standing against an army, one man who refuses to give up, one man who refuses to back down. And it's at this moment where you think everything's lost. Um, he is going to get just consumed by this army that you hear Cappy there this is Sam and then all of the portals start opening up and you hear Sam go on your left portals open up everybody shows up and then we get that amazing moment where everyone is all lined up together and Cap goes Avengers pulls Mjolnir back into his hand and goes assemble finally paying off this entire time we have been waiting can you imagine we've never actually heard him say avengers assemble until this very moment um it was incredible it was incredible he was fantastic uh, i talked a little bit uh, earlier about him uh, dual wielding the shield and mjolnir alongside thor them trading hammers um it's just fantastic he is one of the final people to stand against Thanos at the very end and he is witness to uh, Tony Stark sacrificing himself to save basically the galaxy so um, afterwards we see that he has kind of elected to be the one to return all of the stones back to their proper places in the timeline um, and he has so here's the thing so there are a lot of thoughts there are a lot of feelings on on his uh, his final couple scenes, um, I will say I love them all. Um, a lot of people were very disappointed in kind of his uh, goodbye with Bucky, but for me, in my mind, I feel like Bucky knew 
he knew what Steve was planning on doing. That's why he didn't. They didn't have this like tear shedding goodbye, because um, he knew he knew what was going to happen. He knew that Steve was going back and was going to live a life with Peggy. Um, so they, I'm sure they already had that scene between each other. Um, they do get an incredible callback where. They reference the uh, interaction back in the very first Captain America movie where uh, Steve says, don't do anything stupid until I get back. And Bucky says, how can I? You're taking all the stupid with you, which mirrored what they said to each other uh, back in 1942. So I loved it. And then, of course, Sam is saying, you know, I can go with you because he's always been, you know, he's always had Steve's back. And Steve's like, I got to do this myself. So he gets up onto the uh onto the little platform picks up Mjolnir and now again I just want to I want a miniseries I want a six episode miniseries chronicling him returning each stone Mjolnir in hand and just just give me what I want just give me what I want um but they gets all set up uh Hulk says it's going to take as long as he needs but for us it's only going to take five seconds and uh Steve you know goes off into the uh into the ether as it will into the timeline and five seconds pass and he doesn't come back and i thought for sure that was going to be where they left him like oh he's stranded somewhere in the timeline so that then they can inevitably bring him back for another uh another round so to speak but um that's not what ended up happening bucky turns around almost like i said almost knowing what was going to happen and he gets Sam's attention, and then we see a somewhat diminutive old man sitting on a bench nearby. Um, they both approach, but then Bucky tells Sam to go ahead, and uh, Sam walks up, and the old man is Steve. Steve is an old man now, and um, I'm gonna try not to get choked up about this, but it's just it's it's huge. Um, so Steve reveals that after he returned all the stones, he decided to go live some of that life that Tony had always been talking about. And you find out that he went back, he lived a life, and he has returned for a reason. And he gives Sam Wilson the shield. He hands off the shield. A new shield, mind you. New design and everything. I loved it. Loved the new shield. Um... But it's, oh, God. I can't explain just how happy I am about that. Uh, the fact that it was Sam, that he came back, the whole deal. And um, as he's handing the shield off to Sam, he shakes his hand, and we see that there's a wedding ring. And uh, Sam, of course, asks him, like, you going to tell me about her? And Steve, in his amazing delivery of Chris Evans, says, uh, no. No, I don't think I will. And then we get the most incredible song, the most incredible scene, where we get It's Been a Long, Long Time playing as as we see that Steve lived his life with Peggy. After returning the stones, he went back. Uh, We don't know exactly when. Uh, I'm assuming after the war, but possibly before Agent Carter. Uh, Maybe after Agent Carter. Um, And they got that dance. They got that dance. The final scene is the two of them dancing together. And uh, he got what he wanted. He really got what he wanted. 
the thing that he had been fighting for, the thing that he had given up in service of others. And ah, no, I'm not going to get emotional about this. Um, he finally got his ending, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And uh, so, yeah, that's his story. That's his story in Endgame. He was incredible. Now, to jump to his comics, which is what the whole thing's been about. Um, Kevin Reg has so many good comics. A lot of people, I think, are going to have kind of a similar feeling as, to, as I have to uh, Iron Man's stories, where they're going to say his best stories are behind him. I don't believe that's the case. Um, I believe that a lot of his greatest stories have actually been in the last you know, 10, 15 years. So uh, we're going to talk about them. So at uh, first up, we have Man Out of Time, written by Mark Wade, with art by uh, George Molina incredible story this is a story that really kind of takes place immediately following steve getting thought out of the ice um and it always kind of it touches on the idea that this this long-running idea that um uh that everyone's kind of wondered about where it's like you have the greatest minds in the entire universe with Reed Richards and Tony Stark, immediately after Steve gets thought out, why don't they just send him back? So we get answers for that. We get um, him learning how to cope with being in the modern world. We get, It's a very, very, um, I don't want to say simplistic, but it's an essential story of him, of the, uh, the man out of time, which is, you know, the title of the story. Uh, the art's stellar. George Molina does some of his best work in this book. Uh, we get his interactions with really everybody as well as some uh, flashback interactions during the war. And it's just, it's good stuff all around. So I really enjoy it. Uh, Mark Wade, one of my favorite writers, he has had a few different great Captain America books. So um, definitely check this one out. Next up, probably the one that everyone was expecting the death of captain america written by ed brubaker with uh steve epting mike perkins and butch geese again i'm sorry i don't know how to pronounce that uh on art duties um this is the one that a lot of people i think were expecting uh not just out of endgame and infinity war but i think all the way back in civil war because in the comics the end of civil war it kind of all concluded with the death of captain america so um I think this is a great story for people who are kind of interested to see what happens next because this col- the current collection that they have, which I absolutely recommend, uh, Death of Captain America chronicles his death following the events of Civil War as well as the hunt for new Captain America and ultimately who ends up stepping up and taking that role as Captain America. Great story. Um, I don't know how much they'll pull for the uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier show. I hope a lot. Ed Brubaker is one of the uh, quintessential writers for Captain America. His run on Captain America, I think, can be held up right alongside uh, Jason Aaron's run on Thor. So, incredible story. Great story of what the shield means as a symbol for uh, not just America, but for the world. So, I definitely think that's something you should pick up. And finally, my top, the best one I think you should pick up for Captain America is Captain America the Winter Soldier. Of course. Written by Brid Brad Brubaker. Written by Ed Brubaker with art by Steve Epting and Mike Perkins. Um, this is the greatest modern Captain America story. Hands down. Bar none. Um, 
this is, and I can tell you this by simply stating that it is the greatest story by virtue of the fact that they almost one for one translated it from the comic into the film. And that film was the greatest film in MCU history to me up until Endgame came out. So um, I just think it's an incredible story. This is dealing with uh, the legend of the Winter Soldier and the fact that he has been um, basically there for some of the most important uh, world-shifting events in history. And now he's back and Captain America's in his crosshairs. So the identity of the Winter Soldier, um, the whole reveal back when this was coming out was just huge and i love everything even if you know where the story's going you know the identity of the winter soldier um there's enough in here that will surprise you and will get you hooked because this is something that i think works the best with cap's modern storytelling is this uh kind of espionage spy thriller aspect and again they want almost one-to-one ratio how they adapted it from the comic to the film which just show goes to show you how good it is so those are my picks i think as an honorable mention here uh the uh mark wade chris somni run from them uh i think it was last year was fantastic ended way too soon um i really enjoyed it it's somni it's mark wade what can go wrong so that is it uh for those recommended readings and i've had some people ask me so this is going to go a little bit extra here. I've had some people ask me, so I'm going to give you, speaking of Captain America, how I would rank all 10 of Captain America's costumes. Just, you know, I'm, I'm sure no one cares about this but me. But I've had more than a couple people ask me about it, how I would rank them. So I'm going to give you my rankings right now. So... There's 10 costumes, I counted them up. There's 10 costumes that Cap has worn throughout the series. And I think, um, first of all, I'm not going to count the uh, the Quantum Realm suit because that's a team suit that everyone wears. Um, but his costumes have been really great throughout. Pretty good consistency throughout the MCU. Uh, but at number 10, I have the USO suit. I love this suit. This is a one-to-one adaptation from the comics of his classic suit and it kind of shows why it doesn't work in a uh, realistic setting so i loved it i love the fact that it was used for these propaganda videos um and it was just it was just good all around um at number nine i'm looking at the pictures of all of them right now so at number nine i have let's see here i didn't do this beforehand so i'm looking at them all now so you're getting my live thoughts um, so at number nine, I am going to have to put, let's see here. Okay, so this might be an unpopular opinion. In fact, I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion. But at number nine, I have the Nomad suit from Infinity War. Um, and I know, I know, the beard, the hair, it's fantastic. But the suit itself really does nothing for me. Um this is basically the Civil War costume that, uh, you know, has been torn up over the, I believe, two years since um, since the events of Civil War. And I just, it's fine. It's a good look for Steve Rogers in the uh, phase of his life that he's in. But as a Captain America costume, it's just, it doesn't do it for me. 
Uh, next up, we have the Avengers costume, the first Avengers costume, or the Avengers spandex, we'll call it. So at number eight, we have the Avengers spandex. Um, this suit is really underrated, uh, mostly because the helmet is just atrocious, which I love that they fixed in Endgame. The helmet looked way better. The suit itself looked way better. Um, this suit does not get enough praise for what it was this was the fanboy suit crafted by colson um this is basically how you would modernize and update the classic captain america uh costume his uso costume uh this is great this is fantastic i really really enjoy everything about it from the neck down uh, which is why it kind of ranks above uh the nomad suit for me because i enjoy everything about the nomad suit from the neck up uh, number seven, I have the Bucky rescue suit. I'll call it the rescue suit. Uh, this is the costume that he wore uh, during his mission to rescue Bucky and the other and the Howling Commandos at the beginning of First Avenger. It's basically just uh, his USO top with um, his you know sweet Indiana Jones style leather jacket, paramilitary stuff, and the. Uh, blue helmet with the A ripped straight from the flashbacks from the Ultimates. Um, I love this suit. It's practical, it is uh, subtle, it is still striking. I really, really love it, and it really shows off the kind of the blend of the superhero and military aspects of him. So that's number eight. Number seven, um, let's see here. Number seven, I will put as the, I didn't think it was going to be this low, but number seven, I think, is the first Avenger outfit. Um, the first Avenger uniform, we'll call it. So this is a fantastic suit. This is period. It is bulky. It is hefty. This is something for wartime. This is something that you could see them physically making back in the early 40s, mid 40s, whatever. I loved this suit, I loved the reveal of it, I loved it throughout the film, and I was sad that more elements of it weren't retained. Um, so yeah, there's that one. Uh, for number six, I would have to say it is, you know, I'm gonna put this here. Number six, I think, is the, uh, the Civil War uniform. So I will call this the, uh, I will call, I'll just call it the Civil War uniform. So this, this, the Civil War uniform, I like. I like a lot. It is the one that has really kind of carried through the last three films. Um, but for me, I really would have liked to see more white. Uh, the whole red, white, and blue aspect with the white just being uh, contained to the ab section, I really would have liked more. Uh, this is kind of a blend of the... I would say like the first Avenger suit and the Winter Soldier suit. So for me, that is where I put that. I like it. I like it, but it's not my favorite. Uh, next up at number four, we have the Smithsonian suit or the Golden Age suit. I'm going to call it the Golden Age suit because that sounds cooler. Um, this is basically the uh, replica, the... Um, the mannequin display for Captain America for the Smithsonian exhibit and is the suit that he finishes off the Winter Soldier wearing. And I love this suit. This is 
if I had my way, um, little like tweaks here and there to make it a little bit more uh, sleek, like the uh, like the Civil War suit. But uh, this would be my preferred Captain America suit for the films because it is hearkening back to the uh, to World War II while also giving it kind of modern updates. Uh, it's sleeker than the first Avenger uniform. Um, it's got the third stripe down the middle, giving it the look that the both the USO and the first Avengers spandex had. Um, but it's just it is. I think the perfect Captain America costume if you're trying to bridge his uh, his identity from the past with the identity of the future. I absolutely loved it. It did not get enough screen time, in my opinion. Um, at number three, we have the Winter Soldier costume, the stealth suit. Uh, I love this suit. It is fantastic. This was the best suit for him to wear to show how much he's grown from the first Avenger through the first Avengers film into the Winter Soldier film. Uh, it's ripped straight from the the uh, Cap or the Steve Rogers Super Soldier comic where he became Commander of Shield. Um, I love it. I love this costume. I really dig it. Um, I almost like it more with the helmet on than with the helmet off. Um, which is, you know, the correct comic accurate way to uh, to have that costume. But I really dig it. The whole scene at the beginning with the Lumerian star on the ship, him just tearing through these guys was fantastic. His one-on-one -on -one with Batroc was great. Um, it's the suit that's worn the most for my favorite Captain America film. So it's definitely, definitely ranking up there. At number, what are we at now? Uh, number two. So number two is the Age of Ultron costume. I know, I know it's weird. The Age of Ultron movie was not uh, received very well. Um, it's in the, I believe, the back half of my official MCU rankings. Um, but I really dig this. This, I think, is the perfect balance between the Winter Soldier suit and the uh, first Avengers suit. So it's got all of the kind of modern updates used for the Winter Soldier suit, or the, the stealth suit, but it has the flair and the Americana of the uh, Avengers spandex. So we'll call this the Avengers uniform. We'll call this the Avengers uniform. Um, I love this. I love this suit. Uh, the white on the arms, the red, the blue, the white, the whole deal. Um, the magnetic stuff, I you know, I can take it or leave it, whatever. But I really dig this suit. And I'm kind of sad that this was only around for one film. And then finally, at number one, it's the Endgame uniform. This is the, uh, we'll call this the Endgame uniform. Uh, the scales. That's the big thing. That's the biggest change from the uh, Civil War uniform. Um, and you just, you can't beat it. A lot of people were really skeptical when they saw concept art of it. But for me, when I saw it, and when a lot of people saw it, it's... There is a reason that it is used so often in the comics, and they did it to a pitch-perfect degree. I loved the Endgame uniform. It is incredible. If I had one nitpick, I would give more white onto the arms, similar to the uh, Age of Ultron, the Avengers uniform, but I absolutely dig this and this i think is the greatest captain america costume of the mcu so to recap uh number 10 the uso 
uh, costume. At number nine, the nomad uniform. At number ten, number ten. At number eight, we have the Avengers spandex. At number seven, we have the rescue suit. At number six, we have the first Avenger uniform, or the World War II uniform. At number five, we have the Civil War uniform. At number four, we have the Golden Age suit. At number three, we have the Stealth suit. At number two, we have the Avengers uniform. And at number one, we have the Endgame uniform. I love all of these costumes in their own way. Those are my official rankings for anyone who cares. But uh, yeah, that is going to do it for uh, this. It is a final send-off for the MCU. Um, of course, I will be keeping track of how the box office stuff shakes up. I'm really, I'm, I got my fingers crossed. I'm still pulling for it to beat Avatar, but it is literally going to be a photo finish. Um, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have it any other way. This is something that... Um, I think is a huge deal whether or not it beats it. I still think it will. It's going to be incredibly close, but I still think it will. And uh, we'll just have to see. But either way, thank you, MCU, for the last 11 years. Thank you to the original six that comprised our focus for last week's episode as well as this week's episode. Thank you, Scarlett Johansson. Thank you, Mark Ruffalo. Thank you, Jeremy Renner. Thank you, Chris Hemsworth. Thank you, Chris Evans, and thank you very much, Mr. Robert Downey Jr. of course that beautiful musical intro can only mean one thing it is time for this week's weekly review this is the segment of our show where i review something weekly and of course our weekly review is centered around the doom patrol show this is the live action doom patrol show that has been airing on the uh dc universe streaming service and app and we are doing this week's episode, which is episode number 14, entitled Penultimate Patrol, which of course is fitting as it is the penultimate episode for the first season. This upcoming Friday is going to be the season finale. I am super stoked. I'm super ready to see where they go. And um, this episode had a lot to, uh, a lot to do with why that is. Um, this is also a great time, I guess, to talk about that uh, following this, we're going to need a new show to uh, do our weekly review on. So if you have a show that you would like me to review, um, there's lots of stuff on the DC Universe app. I can stick with stuff on there. Um, I can go to a different show. I just want to hear what you think. I want to hear what you think I should be reviewing, whether that's uh, comic book related or not. I will uh, kind of take a tally of what everybody is talking about. I'll probably put up a poll and we will see what we end up reviewing next. So uh, this episode was great. This episode actually kicks off in Chicago of 1946. I love that these episodes keep starting off um, in a previous time period. Makes me so happy. Um, 
And this flashback made me even happier because it's bringing up the Brotherhood of Evil. Uh, we heard it mentioned before. We now know that um, they were a thing, that the Doom Patrol was fighting. Uh, in 1946, they mention uh, the brain. We see that Mr. Nobody, who is just a regular nobody at this point, uh, was trying to get some giant robot scheme off the ground, but the Brotherhood of Evil canned him. They fired him and replaced him with, in his words, a talking gorilla. He speaks French. Also referencing Monsieur Mala. I love that. I love that. So uh, Mala and the Brain were a thing, at least in the 1940s. We'll see if they end up coming back for season two, if there is a season two. But um, we really get to see the origin of Mr. Nobody, as brief as it is, with uh, him basically getting fired, his girlfriend, I guess, leaving him, and really her, the telling line of her saying, you're just a nobody and that's who you'll always be. Um, Flash forward and we find that our team, our Doom Patrol, is on patrol trying to find uh, Niles Calder and they end up happening on Danny the Street. That's right, Danny the Street returns. Um, They find that the Beard Hunter somehow survived whatever freaky thing that happened at the end of this episode and now he is reformed. He's on Danny the Street, he's living his life with the other Dannysons, and um, yeah. So Danny the Street is back, um, talks to Flex, Flex tells Danny what happened to Dolores. Um, he is in a weird space. Um, I'm glad that he is uh, a part of this, I'm really excited about it, I'm really happy about it. And um, I hope, because this episode was kind of Flex light. Uh, I hope that he has a bigger role to play in the finale. But um, he gets a very big role uh, in this scene where they talk about how Niles is being kept in the white space. And Flex is the only person who knows how to get there. So he takes the comic book that uh, Danny Street initially gave to Larry and wants people to focus on the white space between the panels on the comic page and he flexes but he flexes the wrong muscle and forces everyone on danny the street including danny the street themselves, to have a raging orgasm it is doom patrol at his at its freaking weirdest and it is hilarious because uh, Robot Man Cliff is just looking around like, what's going on? Because he's he's just a brain now. And uh, he starts faking it to, so that he wasn't left out. And it's just so funny. Flex is like, oh, I guess I flexed the wrong muscle. So um, after everyone composes themselves, he flex again. And they go into the white space. Meanwhile, back with Cyborg, uh, Silas reveals his secrets. Um... And that secret is that he did tamper with Vic's memories, but not to the extent that Vic thought. He just tampered with his memories to the point for him to forget that both him and his mom survived the initial explosion in the lab, but that Silas chose to save his son over his wife because in his mind it is what his wife would have wanted. So... uh, it takes a second. Vic is, of course, betrayed by this, but he does refocus himself, and we will see him again later on in the episode. Um, I really liked that once they got into the white space, it's kind of Mr. Nobody's domain, and he starts uh, 
basically putting them all back into their scenarios pre-accident and gives them the opportunity to just live their lives there but rita takes control of her narrative and she starts to pull control from mr nobody or so we thought of the white space so i really liked that i liked how she is continually growing as a character and it's showing her ingenuity and her cleverness and we really get to see how much these characters have grown there's always a point near the finale of a season or a series where you get where the characters are faced with a situation that they would have reacted to differently at the beginning of our journey and this is it um at the beginning of the season if they were given this shot all of them would have preferred to stay to stay in this alternate reality that mr nobody had crafted for them but they have now all accepted themselves they have accepted each other and now together all of them make the choice to walk away and accept who they are today and it's during this that we get the confrontation between dr harrison who has returned with mr nobody um he manipulate or she manipulates him into re-seeing uh his ex-girlfriend telling him that he's just a nobody um he shake or she shakes him to his core and then he is seemingly vaporized by a returning cyborg who has returned to help everyone and that seems to be it we flash forward like six months to uh calder mansion i guess and uh everyone is kind of settled in they've all got their doom patrol costumes on which i think is a great shout and they are all pulled to a crisis happening in the park with a very familiar giant robot which proceeds to kill the entire doom patrol in front of niles calder's eyes and then all of a sudden starts over the day starts over, the exact same scenario happens, and they die again. And this happens repeatedly over and 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 over. They devote a good quarter of this episode to just repeating this scenario and watching Niles Calder just flip out. They really got their money's worth out of Timothy Dalton for this episode. And it explains why he's been absent for most of the rest of the season so they finally niles calder breaks the cycle calls out cyborg who reveals himself to be mr nobody just as cyborg returns and so everyone is pulled back into the uh white space no time has passed six months did not pass we're still in the exact same place uh mr nobody has just been torturing them all and just as it looks like we're about to regroup we're about to counter this Niles is forced to reveal a secret because Mr. Nobody says, you can't beat me, none of you can, none of you have the ability, but this isn't about you. This is about Niles and the secret he's been keeping from all of you. And at the very last closing seconds of this episode, Niles Calder reveals that all of the accidents that befell everyone, uh, Rita falling into the, um, into the river and getting infected with whatever... Uh, energies that turned her into Elasta Woman, um, Jane and her multiple personalities, Cliff and his car accident, and Larry with his um, fighter plane accident were not accidents. They were all caused by Niles Calder. And that's where the episode ends. Crazy stuff. Um, for those of you who are on the up and up when it comes to the Duke Patrol, or listen to our episode if you haven't checked it out, um, 
this was kind of I was really interested to see if they would go this route, especially with Timothy Dalton as uh, Niles Calder, if they wanted to make him more of a benevolent figure. But I'm really interested to see where they go with this final episode. If everyone turns on Niles, what ends up happening? What ends up happening with Mr. Nobody? Are we going to get the Nobody versus Flex Mentallo fight that I have been clamoring for? We'll see. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Um, let me know what you thought of this week's episode, uh, whether you liked it, whether you disliked it, whether you haven't been watching, which if you haven't, why? Um, you need to be watching this show. Uh, I will say, I think DC Universe is still doing like a uh, like a one-week free trial. Once Friday hits, you can do a free trial, watch binge-watch the entire season like I did for Titans, and then cancel your subscription. I don't... Uh, I don't exactly support that because I think this app and the streaming service really is great. Um, I've been using it a lot to watch uh, old episodes of Batman the Animated Series, of uh, Batman Moving the Bold, of Young Justice, all three seasons they have on there. Um, It's a great series. Again, not sponsored. Would love to be sponsored. Not sponsored. Um, I just think it's a great service. So that is going to do it for this week's weekly review. So now let's jump over to this week's Comics Countdown welcome back to this week's comics countdown this is the segment of our show where i tell you about the comics that i'm picking up this week and the comics that i think you should be picking up too whether it's at your local comic book shop on comiXology however you get your comics these are the ones i think you should be taking a look at i'll be telling you about the title of the book the creative team behind it as well as a brief synopsis of each book and of course each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices if you have a synopsis voice you would like to recommend feel free to let me know on twitter or instagram at geeksplainpod that's at geeksplainpod or through emails because I'm still an old man and I still read emails uh, to geeksplained at gmail.com. We've got five books for you this week that I think you should be checking out. Um, this is a good week, but I I can't lie to you guys. Next week is going to be huge. Next week's a big week for comics. So um, this is a good week, though. This does have some good books, so we'll jump right in. Uh, starting off with Miles Morales, Spider-Man number six. Written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Javi Garon. Uh, this book has just been really, really good so far. The art's been great. The writing has been fantastic. If you were a fan of Into the Spider-Verse, this is the book that you need to be reading right now. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that. It's uh, Babs has decided to nestle next to me, and because of her... Um, because of her uh, nasal infection she has a uh, she snores <laughs> um, so yeah uh, that is the team the book has been really good so far let's jump into the synopsis here who is Starling and is she single uh, we mean is she gonna help stop Tombstone or is she about to make the Colt 45,000 caliber war for Brooklyn even deadlier The last thing Miles needs is another complication at school. Good thing high school is like a very chill, logical place. Oh, wait. So yeah, it's just synopses like that, as well as the art, these new characters that they're bringing in. Um, It's just a really fun book to read. This is a book that you can pick up, have a great time with, and continue to stick with it. 
So I'm I'm a big fan of this book. It's been really good so far. Another book that's been really good so far is Detective Comics number 1004, written by Peter J. Tomasi with art by Brad Walker. Uh, this book is continuing the Arkham Knight storyline. Uh, we finally got the reveal of uh, the Arkham Knight last week, and I'm just going to say I called it. Uh, but I'm really excited. I'm really interested to see where this goes. They also did a quick reveal on her name. I won't spoil it, but I'm really excited about this character and about this story. So let's jump into the synopsis. The face behind the mask is revealed. Who's taken up the mantle of the Arkham Knight? What's their endgame? And what's the shocking secret that Batman never knew about a part of his life he'd taken for granted? So yeah, lots of uh, lots of interesting, I think, uh, strands that you can pull. Uh, there's a lot going on in this book, so I am really excited. Uh, Detective Comics has been killing it ever since uh, Tomasi jumped on board, so I really, really think this is a book you should be checking out. Bless you. Um, the life of a cat parent, my friends. Uh, so next up we have Avengers number 19 written by Jason Aaron with art by Ed McGinnis. This is a War of the Realms tie-in. Uh, the last that we left off, all of our Avengers are scattered, but it looks like this is going to be focusing on their headquarters at the top of the world. Uh, Avengers Tower, Avengers Base, basically they turned the body of a dead Celestial into their new home base. So uh, I think right now the only person who's there is uh, Black Panther. So there's going to be a siege on Avengers Mountain, and uh, yeah, I can't wait. Here's the synopsis. War of the Realms tie-in. Avengers Mountain is under siege as the last stronghold of Earth's heroes is the subject of an all-out assault by the forces of Malekith. So yeah, uh, that pretty much tells you all you need to know. Um, it's going to be a big old siege a la, you know, Winterfell or Helm's Deep, so I'm interested to see where they go if they, uh, if Jason Aaron ends up kind of drawing inspiration from that. He has already said that he is a fan of Game of Thrones as well as Lord of the Rings, so I hope that he kind of takes those as inspiration for this story. Uh, next up, we have Flash number 71, written by Joshua Williamson with art by Scott Collins. Uh, this is the continuation of uh, Flash Year One, and the first issue was really, really good. They're taking it in a direction I don't think a lot of people expected, myself included, so I'm really interested to see where this goes. Uh, let's jump into the synopsis here. The Flash Year One continues. Barry Allen struggles to control his powers as he experiments with his newfound abilities. When one of his tests lands him in a mess, he'll come face to face with his first villains. Whew. Trying to do all this super quick. But uh, yeah, I'm really interested. I I will bet a dollar that uh, this first villain ends up being Captain Cold. But we'll see. I'm really excited to see where Joshua Williams Williamson takes this character. He's been killing it since the beginning of Rebirth. And uh, I'm really excited to see where the story goes. And finally, the big book of the week, I think at least, is uh, War of the Realms Strike Force Land of Giants number one, written by Tom Taylor, bless you, with art by George Molina. We talked about George Molina earlier for the um, uh, Captain America recommended reading. He did the art for Man Out of Time. And Tom Taylor is a great 
great writer. Big fan of his. So this is going to be a good, good book. Uh, this was really uh, outside of New Agents of uh, Atlas. I really think the only book tie-in-wise that I was really interested in because this is... Uh, just based on the team. This is Captain America, Wolverine, Spider-Man, and the Heroes for Hire, Luke Cage and Iron Fist, going to Jotunheim to rescue Thor. So this is chronicling their whole uh, their whole journey there. I'm really excited. I love these characters being in this environment, all of them kind of getting uh, Asgardian medieval-style makeovers for this, Viking-inspired. Really, really enjoying uh, War of the Realm so far, and I'm definitely going to be picking this book up. Let's jump into the synopsis here. The God of Thunder is trapped in the land of ice and snow, and it's up to Captain America to rescue him before all is lost. Taking up Thor's axe, Yonbjorn, Cap and his team, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist invade the Frost Giant realm in search of their fellow Avenger. But this rescue mission will cost far more than they expect. So yeah, uh, we kind of picked up last issue of uh, the last issue of War of the Realms at the tail end of this uh, rescue mission. So I'm interested to see they didn't really touch upon it, which makes me think something happened. So I cannot wait to see what happens here. I'm really excited. War of the Realms has been killing it so far, and. Um, I can't wait to see how this all ends up. So to recap, we have Miles Morales Spider-Man number 6, we have Detective Comics number 1004, Avengers number 19, Flash number 71, and War of the Realms Strike Force Land of Giants number 1. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. Um, thank you for uh, listening through this all with me and kind of dealing with my, uh, my new cat parentage. Uh, Babs is a complete sweetheart. Um, and I'm really excited to have her as our newest member of the family, but I think everything will be a little bit better once this, uh, uh, nasal infection gets through. So, um, yeah, that's going to be it for this week, as well as the closure of our MCU coverage, at least in the, uh, mainstay of the episodes for now. Uh, we do have Spider-Man Far From Home coming up in a couple months, and as well as, uh, a couple episodes, I think, looking towards the future of what uh, Phase 4 and beyond might look like. But for now, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Stay tuned next week for more content from us, same geek time, same geek channel. And let me know what you want to see us cover for uh, the weekly review. Uh, the Doom Patrol ends this Friday, so we are going to need a new... Uh, new show to start reviewing in two weeks time so definitely let me know your thoughts again through social media twitter instagram or through email um this has been fun uh, again to do all these uh recommended readings looking back on the mcu has been a really really good time and i hope you all have enjoyed it as much as i have but for now for geek explain this is eric azana thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time